when you have a portfolio of products that serve many functions, whether it's sales or service or marketing or analytics and so on and so forth, it's fair for the customer to have an expectation to say, hey, sort of transcending whichever products I've invested in should be a common experience. And so regardless of which parts of the portfolio, some of it, all of it I've invested in, it should be kind of a way to work with you. That will make it easiest to partner with you. It'll make the most sense to us. We'll know how to leverage the resources you're bringing to the table. It should be a kind of a common model. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready, to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Ladies and gents, I have some tragic news before we kick into this episode. I've gotten some unsolicited feedback that instead of going by the moniker Sasserman, I should go back to the drawing board. So let it be known officially, yes, my podcast alter ego will be sunset. Goodbye, Danny Sasserman. But on to today's episode. And also in search of my next moniker, please feel free to email, in-mail, or DM me with any suggestions you've got. Yes, ladies and gents, today, an episode that is one you should brace yourself for. A force of nature in the world of customer success. Yes, in fact, we can have forces of nature come from that side of the house as well, coming to you as both a wildly successful executive in sales and CS, currently occupying the perch of two roles. First, the chief success officer at Tableau, and in parallel, the VP of customer success at Salesforce, we have Josh Botello. At the end of the episode, you're going to hear about some formative advice that Josh gave a very young, impressionable, and earnest Danny Wasserman. But before we get to that heartfelt dismount, Josh is going to come to you with a strategic mindset and an innovative approach to the world of CS that have earned him, rightfully so, a reputation as a game changer. And why I say that, and I don't think it to be hyperbolic, is that Josh scientifically dissects the anatomy of failure in customer relationships to then be aimed to understand what is the dimensionality of success. And that's an incredibly mature way to approach customer success. But he then also talks about in this episode, if you don't have the luxury and the stature of being at the size of Salesforce, how can you approach this perhaps ambiguous profession, regardless of the size of the team that you're working on? And in that vein too, also illuminates what are career possibilities in this role, as well as what feels perhaps to be inevitable in the coming of the machines, industrializing and operationalizing customer success why that doesn't need to be scary, but why we should celebrate that. So very excited to bring you today's episode of Josh Vitello. Enjoy. Josh Vitello is in the house. Josh, welcome to Reveal. Hey, Danny. I'm, up, I'm, fired, uh, I'm fired up. <laughs> cool. We're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, we should just call it quits right here. No, Josh, I am so excited because we have a swath of listeners. We have people on the new business side where you've spent a lot of your time. We have folks who are coming from customer success. And across that aisle, sometimes parties aren't totally simpatico. And because you've been mm -hmm. successful in both, and more recently, you've spent the most amount of time thinking about revolutionizing success, particularly at an organization like Salesforce and Tableau that claims to have really invented and revolutionized success. 
you have famously talked about what is becoming the industrialization of customer success. I'd like to start there because if you can define that, when we hear industrialization, that can be a little scary. Is that utopian, dystopian? Talk to us a little bit about what that means first. <laughs> okay. There's a lot there. And so I'll, I'll attempt to unpack and maybe I'll make a comment first on, uh, you sort of indicated at times there can be sort of a, a conflict or lack of alignment between sort of post-sale organizations and, and, and sale, selling organizations. And from where I sit, and I probably, my professional identity, I probably most identify as sort of a sales practitioner because that's sort of my professional upbringing. But when I look at kind of pre-sales and post-sales, particularly in the subscription economy existence that we live in right now, I sort of struggle with the differentiation myself. And so I tend to be kind of confused by the conflict between organizations because I see so much more in common. There's specific tasks in a selling function that are very specific, like negotiating contracts, as an example, like architecting a deal. But at the end of the day, whether you're in customer success or you're in sales, kind of regardless of how they're defined, you are a change agent. You're representing an organization that has an opportunity to bring value by helping you solve problems. You're a change agent. You're sort of influencing change within your customer organization. And though that change is sort of manifest as sort of investments and decisions that the customer makes, regardless if it's a, a sales transaction or if it's other decisions that the customer is making. So... I see so much in common between these functions and roles. I've always been sort of curious by sort of perception, you know, kind of where conflict exists between the roles, but maybe that's just me. So that's just one comment on your comment there. And then maybe I want to unpack further, unless you have, you look like you're going to say something. No, okay. I, I'm thrilled that you talk about customer success with the notion of agent because underlying agent is agency. So it's a perfect segue to talk about what is contradictory between industrializing or operationalizing with agency. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. I, I agree with you that the word industrialization sort of paints a picture of opportunity and is loaded. So I guess I'd like to unpack customer success as in terms of like, what does it mean before we like speak functionally about it? Because and the reason I say that is in my experience interviewing customer success leaders, I have found that what is consistent is sort of the, is the diversity of how the function is sort of structured and its mission. And, and it, it, there's so many different manifestations and variations of this sort of concept. But so I think we anchor it in like, what does customer success mean? I think is, I think is helpful. So the way I think about it is what makes a customer, it's that's a company or a person and they, they bought your stuff and you sell a product, you sell a service or whatever for some intended purpose. And um, some goal or objective or problem they're trying to solve. And the reason they did it is because they perceive there's value in solving that problem. Okay. And if they, and they achieve that goal, value will be generated. And so cost will be saved or revenue will be generated as a result of that. And the customer will be delighted. And that's customer success. So I just like to be like, I like things that are very descriptive in their name. And I like customer success because it, I think what it's labeled is what it means it is the customer's success. Okay. Now there are complications when a customer makes an investment for some intended purpose. It's a fact that not every customer successfully solves their problem or successfully achieves their goal. And I think it's also a fact that some customers are wildly successful. And so it, it, there's a, there's an opportunity to understand what is the anatomy of failure in, in that customer relationship. 
And there's an opportunity to understand like what is the dimensionality of success and to take that understanding and translate that into like what jobs are there to be done in order to minimize the occurrences of the failure and maximize the occurrences of wild success. And the jobs could be about information dissemination or break fix things or strategic consultative or things that the customer needs to do for themselves. And so I think kind of getting down to that level and then you see the emergence of functions. And so an example would be for more tactical transactional, you say, oh, we should have a and break fix. You're like, oh, a support function is a commonly understood function that is there to enable great experiences for customers and, and, and their success. A professional service is a different example of an organization that, uh, that is well understood. A customer knows that in order to be successful with particularly complicated deployments, software deployments as an example, that that's an opportunity for them to invest, to accelerate their path to value with those investments. Customer success, I think, lives sort of in, in, in the in-between spaces. And then I think that's where you see like a tremendous amount of diversity in its definition and application. And so when you, then you hear like, well, what, how do you industrialize um, the success function? I think it, it sort of leaves many, many interesting questions to explore. I'm doing a lot of contextualization and framing because in many of these conversations that I've been in, I realized, oh, it took us 10 minutes to realize we had like very different definitions um, before we actually really started to have like a substantive conversation about problems and opportunities. And so hopefully that's helpful. In isolating the nuance, or I think the word you use was dimensionality of mm -hmm. success. It makes me appreciate, Josh, the sheer maturity in which this entire business function has achieved. And I talk about the maturity and the sophistication of this function at a time where arguably there's never been more investment in the customer success world. When you talk about professional services are different than product experts that are different maybe than L&D consultants who consult on the best ways that something might be adopted. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. And all of this investment is poured into this post-sale team at a time when in fact, in the subscription world, churn is at record highs. So here we have a disconnect where formulaically more investment was poured into it. And is the churn simply symptomatic of a different problem? Or do we need to, in your estimation now, revisit the entire sort of definition of customer success because these things are not reconciling with one another? Mm, interesting. Well, you talk about sort of like the, the maturity of success as a function. I think, I think this yeah. function has really matured over time. Okay. And I will say the maturation of sort of this idea is also really dependent on sort of the maturation of the organization in which it exists. And so like, wasn't that long ago within Tableau's, you know, up, up, upcoming that the customer success as a concept didn't exist or as a function did not exist. Okay. Did that mean that problems that customers were facing after they made investments with the technology didn't need to be solved? No, it didn't mean that. It just meant the jobs in order to solve those problems end up getting put into different places. And so you might say, suddenly I'm noticing I have a sales productivity problem. Well, why is that? I'm noticing that I have AEs and solutions engineering over indexed on engaging with customers on investments they've already made because they're struggling with value realization. And so they're not spending less of their time kind of generating demand and, and new opportunity. 
I think we need to make an investment solving that problem, teasing out that part of the work into something different than that. And then you say, oh, like a customer success function might be a good idea to take on those jobs. Because what that does is enables me to drive sales productivity up and then continue to work on isolation of these types of post-sale issues and, and solving those problems as well. And so it is, there's a functional maturation, but I do think part of the complication in industrializing customer success is that the manifestation of the function is so dependent on the dynamics of the product you're going to market with, the maturity of your overall organization and so on and so forth. That's why I try to take the conversation of jobs to be done before we talk function, because mm -hmm. once you figure out what the jobs are to be done, functionally, how you organize around those jobs, you have a lot of choices do you, do you, in, in models that you can bring to bear in order to, to go and execute those jobs. Okay. And so then your next question, we've made big investments in post-sale investments, customer success investments, and we are seeing business performance as an example, attrition or churn or whatever, going the wrong direction in so cohorts of, you know, you know, software and IT and so on and so forth. Is that sort of, you sort of seen a, talking about a relationship there? We have an inverse relationship where we continue to ratchet up investment. And now when so many organizations are reporting record levels of churn, mm -hmm. you would think that the investment that has been made in post-sale insurance mm -hmm. as manifest by customer success, that that would insulate businesses from this attrition is everyone now fully accepts the virtues of being on a subscription economy. I'm probably less able to represent industry on this topic and I can more represent okay. sort of what I have, you know, kind of noticed here. And I would, I guess the way I'd say it is our journey to industrialize or oper operationalize, I prefer okay. the success of function is less informed by kind of the, the perception of a, of a business metric going the wrong way, as, as you're referring, and more informed by an obvious opportunity and, and problem to solve, okay? And so I think, in, and this may be related to the maturity of success within an organization that invented customer success Salesforce, which we have the benefit of, and it's informed by a customer demand, which is when you have a portfolio of products that serve, serve many functions, whether it's sales or service or marketing or analytics and so on and so forth, I think the customer, it, it's fair for the customer to have an expectation to say, hey, sort of transcending whichever products I've invested in should be a common experience. And so regardless of which parts of the portfolio, some of it, all of it I've invested in, you know, I, it, should be, it should be kind of a way to work with you. That will make it easiest to partner with you. It'll make the most sense to us. We'll know how to leverage the resources you're bringing to the table. It should be a kind of a common model. And so I think within our organization, the big driver for sort of operationalizing the customer support and success and services organizations has been about creating a customer experience that's going to be most conducive to value generation and, uh, and resulting in the customer sort of trusting us more and can, and, and being able to, as a result, come back and entrust us more with new problems they're trying to solve, other transformations they're trying to drive. And so that's sort of the virtuous cycle um, that, that I perceive from our organization. Is that, is that answering your question, Danny? Very much so. And I'll take it one step further because a incredibly inflammatory statement was made in Frank <laughs> Slootman's book, Amp It Up. And I, I have to think that in your circles, Josh, you've probably come across this quote. In fact, 
Nick Meta in a blog post. Nick is the CEO of Gainsight, a mm -hmm. purpose-built tool for CS. In this blog post, he talks about, he didn't know he had a nemesis until he read this book. And in the book, Slootman, who again, cut his teeth as the CEO and chairman of ServiceNow for six years, is now mm -hmm. the CEO and chairman of Snowflake. He's no slouch. And Slootman says, why would I put the success of a customer and the responsibility of driving that success on one organization. Because inherently, if the customer isn't successful, I've got a smoking gun. I can point mm -hmm. my finger at that team and say, you have failed. When in fact, at every exchange mm -hmm. in that customer's journey, we are all collectively responsible. So in the case of, well, the customer isn't adopting the product. Mm -hmm. Is that customer success's problem? No, mm -hmm. that's the product's problem. Mm -hmm. So that should be resolved by that group. And Knowing sort of Nick being like, oh, my God, Slootman, why are you coming at me, bro? I'm wondering, as you hear that from Slootman, what are your reactions and how would you respond? I think my reactions are different than Nick's reaction. But I guess, like, my first thing that pops in my head is you say, hey, why make success one function as responsibility? It should be the entire organization's responsibility. Sort of implies that you don't need the function to exist because... Every, all the other functions um, can own that. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, someone might say, if our product is good enough, why would I have a sales team? If my product is good enough, then people will buy it. And the fact that we have a, a sales team as an existence is just a reflection of our failure to make the product compelling enough on its own. You know what I mean? And so I think zero offense. I think it's a really kind of fair thing to say. And by the way, I think at Salesforce, like customer success is one of our corporate, val like one of our corporate values. And so yeah. it is my perception that all the functions in the organization own customer success. So that's how I perceive it. But then when you kind of back to my earlier remarks, mm -hmm. you say, well, what does a customer success mean? And what is the anatomy of a wildly successful customer? And what is the anatomy of a, of a failing customer? And then if you get down to the job level and you say, where do we want those jobs to live? And then you look at the opportunity cost of some of those decisions and you say, well, I think this job can be owned by the sales organization. I think this job can be owned by digital and marketing. I think this job, it's like, okay, maybe that's right. Or, or but there's like pros and, and, and there's benefits and consequences of each of those decisions. And then you might come to the conclusion that, you know, for some of these jobs, I need expertise and specialists. I need, I need a consultative skill set that is able to, to deal with a certain kind of customer persona that's able to go and solve problem X. And if I'm trying to peanut butter spread that skill across these other organizations, I don't predict that I will be successful. And therefore I need a function for that. And so that's the way I perceive it. I think, I think it's a really fair comment. And then you, you digest or you distill it down into sort of job level. Then that starts to guide like functionally, do you need to organize around it or not? And then I think, your journey then is to like, how do we over time make these problems never like, repeat themselves again so that I don't need to organize around this thing. Hopefully with technology, we're able to, you know, carve off more and more of this work, which then, then enables us to apply like our human capital assets to more, like higher value problems to solve over time. I think that's the journey that we're on. Customer success and sales are two vital components of a business that works hand in hand together 
to drive all the outcomes we desire, growth and customer satisfaction. And Josh says it best. Focusing on maturing customer success, well, that leads to creating the customer experiences more conducive to value generation in sales, something that all sides of the house care about. And to echo Josh's approach, Harvard Business Review, HBR, has an article which found increasing customer retention rates by just, you ready for this, 5% can lead to a profit increase more broadly of anywhere from 25 to 95%. And as a steward's, of success in your own organization, perhaps even you're a shareholder, who wouldn't want that? So focusing on customer success leads, duh, to customer retention, but more importantly, leads to better profitability, just even by the slightest increase in customer retention. So let's get back to Josh and hear more as to why this is such an indispensable and occasionally misunderstood side of the house. When you talk about where you can apply more technology to maybe lower value functions and then route human effort to higher value functions as we see the inevitability what feels to be inevitable at least of generative ai doing more mm-hmm. sophisticated tasks and combining mm-hmm. what we're observing culturally right now in widespread adoption of gbt like pieces of technology with your comment of operationalizing cs well can you give us an idea of in the talent pools that you're fielding for your organization what are some of the qualities that make up these individuals because yes you you're talking about numerous dimensions of success and facets of what you need people to do and not every organization has the luxury of being as vast as salesforce and tableau so they may not have singular teams dedicated to this one aspect of success. So if you're part of a much smaller organization, what are those competencies that Mm. you feel are part and parcel with doing the job effectively in 2023? Okay, very good. Okay. Okay. So part of what we're talking about is, so you were saying, speaking functionally about what customers, like the variety of kind of work that customer success does, we're talking about the role of technology and sort of displacing some of that work over time. Um, which creates all kinds of opportunity for cost savings and, you know, yada, 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 all, all the benefits of technology, which is what we represent. Um, and then begs questions for individuals who participate in those functions about like, well, what does that mean for me? And that's, that's sort of how I hear you framing, framing it. Yeah. Up. My tagline is uh, if the robots are coming, how should I prepare? Well, so again, one, I think we're all thinking about that right now. One, mm-hmm. two, I think we're like, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of a single function that won't be transformed, like job, whatever yeah. job. Like, so we're in a pretty special moment right now. It's very interesting. This kind of conversation is very familiar. And I'll speak specifically about a Tableau experience, which Tableau represented in the market was sort of a democratization of the, the analyst role. So an, an, an individual's ability to ask and answer questions without getting help from, expert, from experts. Okay. That's sort of something we ushered in and the common conversation we're having when we're dealing with people who up to that point were managing sort of factories of report writers dealing with a lot of the business intelligence technologies that came out of the nineties was we've got all these people, like where do their jobs go? Because now you're just saying like, everybody does this work now. It's kind of like, Hey, customer success, everyone's job should be customer success. It's like, well, everyone's able to ask and answer questions is what you're claiming. So what about, this function that we have of report authors, 
And the claim that we made, which, which, which bore out to be true, was there is so much work to be done upstream of the authoring of a report in terms of data organization and engineering and data science and like getting your data organized in the right way so that the masses can mine it for value in their day-to-day jobs is going to present huge opportunities for people for much more interesting and satisfying work. So that was kind of a sales pitch that was learned, but that happened to be accurate. <laughs> and we saw a lot of people who like you saw their careers sort of transformed as a result of that innovation. My expectation is we're going to see very much of the same kind of ushered through these experiences. Like there's, if you look at the, again, the dimensionality of sort of success work, um, there are a, a kind of a pretty big range of very specific technical and tactical tasks. And there's also a range of far more complex, strategic, consultative work to be done or like, like leadership alignment work with customers. Sometimes the failure has nothing to do with the technical or the tactical. It's that we didn't have, we were not tied in with business priorities that our customer had. The IT organization was super successful in managing the deployment. The user community was very educated. Governance practices were fantastic. And none of it was linked to the top line business priorities that the organization had. Okay, and so sometimes those are the biggest points of failure and they're less about the product at all. It's more about alignment. In, in executive championship and sponsorship. So that, would, that might be one example where I would be personally very excited if we could start carving off more of the kind of the technical and tactical and, and, then, and then continue to elevate the expertise that we have to kind of fill in some of these spaces where I think there's a really high need for kind of customer engagement and participation. So I think that could present a really oppor- big opportunity for our customers, a big opportunity for the employees who participate in these functions. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And to go one step further, right? So Tableau's outcome, what we thought might displace all these people, in fact, unlocked new opportunities of considerably more sophisticated, empowering, riveting work. Well, that foreshadows what is about to happen in customer success. Talk to us because I think that for the average Joe or Jane, we have a pretty rudimentary understanding of what constitutes a customer success role. And obviously you've expanded our horizons by talking about the various Mm. dimensions, but where this line of question is stemming from Josh, career advancement, career progression. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of people that are working in go-to-market teams. Maybe Mm -hmm. they just realize I don't want to tolerate the agony and stress and volatility of being in sales. So Mm -hmm. where do I go? And success oftentimes is a very natural migratory path for someone to take. It stabilizes Mm -hmm. some of that volatility, but I think there's a stigma that comes with, oh my God, well, if I go to success, then does my career go to stagnate? And that's certainly not Mm -hmm. the case, but I'd love for you to demystify and unpack. No, in fact, especially on the precipice of all of these new functions that may be unlocked with harnessing art and science or industrializing and operationalizing Mm -hmm. success, a bold future awaits you and hear it from me, Josh Vitella. So what does that bold future entail? I guess the first thing I would say is customer success is a customer, like as I, as I know, it's a customer facing function. Okay. Yeah. And you're affecting change with your customers. You're in, in the change you're affecting is look, you've made investments in this partnership and those investments need to bear fruit in the form of value for your organization. And we can observe that there's opportunities to do things differently in order to accelerate that path. And we are going to motivate you to take ownership in order to kind of drive that. You, if you have that skill set, 
I am not worried about your ability to be gainfully employed, whatever the label of the function happens to be. Okay. So like, I, I kind of want to call that out. I think like I have such a high regard for anyone in whatever the function is called, whether it's success or support or sales or solutions engineering or whatever, if you are in that sort of a hand-to-hand, combat's the wrong word because that applies adversarial. But if you're if you're in the in, if you're in dialogue with customers and and, and driving against shared objectives, like that work, I think I think personally biased, that work will forever be like high value work, and the landscape will cha- will change dramatically over and over and over again along the way. But if you can do that, I I'm optimistic about your opportunities. Okay, um, now back I think to what you hit it has. You know, uh, I think Challenger Sale, when it came out, you know, there was sort of an indictment on a on a on a on a characterization of a, of a of a salesperson, which was like, I'm a relationship person. I'm good at sales because I'm great at relationships. And Challenger Sale was like, no, that's not what it's about. It's it's like, and then kind of put like sort of a method around like what really makes this type of resource a kind of a high impact resource. I think similarly, the customer success role in its lack of definition. I think it's had, there's been an opportunity to characterize it as a place for like relationship people. And I think that's a misunderstanding of the opportunity impact uh, for that position. I think the function as it's maturing, we're starting to put kind of similar kind of rigor around it, like what you expect to see within a sales organization. So kind of back to the operationalizing of the function, an example of things that we're doing is saying, hey, like there's specific work product that a success manager should be responsible for, and we should be able to name it. Like there's uh, an engagement that should have a beginning and an end and a measurement and outcome. And we should know what those things are. And, and, and they should be contextualized as sort of like stages of the engagement that you're in. So there's like sort of discovery and planning work. What are the engagements for that? Can you name them? If you can't name them, you cannot apply a data-driven approach to understanding your success business. Oh. Okay, that's your planning work. Then there's some execution work. What are the engagements that are execution work for the success function or for adjacent functions? Do you know what they are called? Do you name them? Are they in your systems? Do you have data about it? How are you valuing your contributions? How are you reviewing your work with your customers? So this basic sort of methodology framework work that's happening within customer success functions, I think is just sort of next level kind of maturation, much like I think what sales has gone through say, you know, some decades ago, but I think it's a very logical progression. I think the word industrialization causes people to imagine other things. This to me is sort of like the pragmatic pro- like plotting of like progress. In the balancing of progress, thinking about, again, science and art of this function harmonizing. I don't know if that feels like mm-hmm. a healthy way to think about a balance there, but one point that I just wanted to raise, it is not hand-to-hand combat, I agree with you, but as you were describing, hey, you don't want to imply adversarial dynamics, perhaps this crusade for value exchange, like this pursuit, I don't know, but then again, there's undertones to being a crusader, so well, we'll come back to that. I don't want to necessarily imply that we have imperialistic tendencies either in colonizing or converting people, so maybe I'm putting my foot in my mouth. It's good It's good. It's good. good to reflect on some, some of these words that uh, just that I there's things I say normally and now I listen to myself differently like oh the origin of that word I should think about that (laughs) is 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 steward of value does that feel safe (laughs) yeah perfect perfect 
There we go. Well, we're coming up on time, Josh. And if you've listened to episodes before, you know what the last question is. But I'm especially excited to ask you this question, which we ask every guest who comes on, given, again, your time spent in both sales and claiming to identify inherently as more of a salesperson, but also now having spent a considerable amount of your time in the last few years in customer success. The question is this, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? I could try to describe sales in just one word, craft. Say more. <laughs> I My experience in the earlier part of my career was that sales was discussed entirely in its outcomes, which, by the way, is what you are signing up to be responsible for within that function. And I was blessed in joining Tableau and being around kind of a sales climate and culture that really spent a lot of communication energy around the craftsmanship of the work. And so it's like, how, like, what are the component parts of being successful in this job? And then how are you applying yourself on a day-to-day -day basis to get better at the various elements of the work? That's understanding the products, that's understanding your customers, that's understanding how to message effectively, that's understanding how to persuade, that's understanding how to guide a negotiation effectively. There's so many little component parts to the job. My understanding of the career coming in was, this is a pretty good way to make some money. And then what I learned as I kind of grew into the, the role was, or the work was, this is like really cool work. And uh, like, I just dig it independent of, of, the, of, the, of the rewards um, that come if you're really successful in the career. And so that's why craft comes to my mind. And by the way, I think I, could, I would just as easily apply that word to someone in a success career as well. Josh, I simply just adore that the simplification of sales at first blush to say, oh, this is a vehicle purely to make money, but to find yourself in this state of, I think you said, I dig it, to know that it is so much more than just being a formula for generating income wealth, uh, but to dig deeper into, much like the dimensionality of a customer success, the dimensionality of a seller. So appreciate that perspective. I don't think we've heard that before. I did say that I want to close today's episode with a personal vignette and story about why I was especially touched that Josh would agree to come on the episode. And this is hearkening back to a time where I was in my late 20s and having gotten to see and observe and marvel at Josh's prowess first as a sales leader and then eventually as a success leader. This was during his time running commercial sales for all of Tableau. And I asked him for coffee because I was at a crossroads in my career. And I began the walk, I started the entire conversation by apologizing. And I apologize for taking time away from Josh's busy schedule. And before he offered me a shred of advice on my own career, he very <laughs> boldly stated something to the tune of, Danny, never begin a meeting by apologizing, certainly for something that you don't need to apologize for. Because if I wanted to take this meeting, I would have. And if I didn't, I didn't need your permission or your apology to do so. So don't ever subvert yourself. And I have carried that parable with me for close to a decade since and have shared that same lesson 
with countless dozens of other people who are figuring out how to go about cultivating and developing a career. So Josh, from the like deepest part of my heart, thank you for sharing that lesson with me. Does that sound in any way familiar? Did I bastardize what you would have said? Because don't quote me exactly on what happened. I mean, I don't, I don't remember specifically. I, uh, whenever someone says, "Hey, I'd like to share with you something that you said to me a long time ago," it always sounds a bit, it always sounds a bit angular and a bit in, 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 in like really direct <laughs> in a way that always makes me like, "Oh, I hope that didn't make you feel bad." <laughs> but, but the fact that you're thinking about it and, it and it seemed to be helpful, I just appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Serling did not internalize it in the moment as anything other than well placed advice and counsel. So with that said, Josh Vitello, the Chief Success Officer of Tableau, Vice President of Customer Success for Salesforce, can't thank you enough for illuminating where we can overcome perhaps inadvertent, unnecessary, unwanted thrash between sales and CS. Where can we think about blending art and science as obviously the role of customer success evolves and becomes more operationalized? And also what are the competencies that are gonna be paramount as we usher in a new wave of the next great customer success thought leaders in our space. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Rattel, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, well, go ahead and give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.